The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Which is which is crazy, and we're we're coming up to kind of the the finish line. And um, and I, I must say though, I, I heard a pastor this week who said that they had been their church had been in Romans for ten years, and uh, he even said that he started it, and then thought the church didn't get it, and so he went back and started it again, which is hilarious to me. Um, so so listen, it could be worse. Like we're going on two years, it could be it could be worse. Um, as I think about Romans, as we think about Romans. We've talked about this before, but it's kind of a two-parter. The first uh, 11 chapters, are, are Paul drills down on kind of the foundational aspects of what we believe. And, and from, from justification by faith alone, through Christ alone, to total depravity, to God's wrath, to sin, to God's grace through faith. He just, he just lays it out so rich. And then we saw a shift happen in, in chapter 12 where, where Paul kind of shifts us into a practical life lived in the gospel. And so uh, if you think about it, we have, we have Romans 1 through 11 defining for us what is the gospel. And then 12 on um, is defining what a life looks like and lived out in light of that. And, and so we've seen this, and we've already seen so much um, just in, in chapter 12 and beyond. We've seen what it looks like to live in Christian community. We've seen um, our responsibilities together in community. We've seen our responsibilities uh, even with our government as we started in chapter 13. We've seen uh, how uh, God's people, how Christ's people are to live together. And, and above all, we saw last week, as Paul puts, puts before us, God's law is love. And so we looked last week that our call is to love God and to love neighbor. And on that, all of the law is fulfilled, as, as Paul laid out for us last week. And so even though our tendency, as we, as we talked about, is toward self-love, uh, God calls us to love him and to love others. And, and I want to pick up, we're going to be in verse 11, but you got to read verse 10 to just as our runway, okay? So verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the, fulfill, the fulfilling of the law. And then from this, right out of this, we get to our text this morning. So here's what I want to do. I want to read it for us uh, together. I'll read the whole thing. And uh, then we'll, we'll get to work. So uh, we'll be in 11 through 14. It says this, Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, uh, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The light or the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, and sexual immorality, and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put 
on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's a big one. It's a big text. Um, so let's, let's, let's start right in verse 11. He says, be, be, uh, besides this, what, what is this? Well, he's drawing us back to verse 10. He's drawing us back to love and the law of love and the love of neighbor, love of God. And, and Paul says, besides this, he says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Uh, obvious question that we need to start with is what is Paul talking about? Uh, I would bet that for some of us, as we read this, as I read this, for some of us, you thought of your death. That, that, that moment when our time comes and we are with Christ, with the moment we see him face to face, our sanctification is complete, and that moment when we are with Christ. Uh, for some of you, as I read this, you think of your finite life. And you, you think of the moment you're living and you think about your own, your own death. For others of you, I would guess that as I read this, your mind goes to you think about Jesus' return. You think about, um, uh, depending on how you understand Scripture and what Scripture says about the end times, you might be here. And when I read this, you think of a rapture. You think of that moment when Jesus comes and you think about that moment when every knee will bow, tongue will confess, the kingdom of heaven comes down, right? Now, uh, please don't hear me wrong. Um, I'm not calling you wrong uh, in this at, at all. I'm not saying that your death or Jesus' return is not part of this. They certainly are. But I believe that what Paul is saying here is just a little more zoomed out, a little more uh, foundational than that. If you look at the verse, it says, beside this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up, right? Wake up from sleep. And, and from what? What is near? Well, Paul says, for salvation is near. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Salvation. Salvation is what Paul is talking about here in this text, that salvation is near. And, and we hear this and we think, wait, wait, wait. Salvation... We believe that we are saved, like saved, past tense, right? I mean, that we, on the cross of Jesus, our salvation was secured. We believe that we've been justified, that we have been saved by grace through faith. Isn't that what Romans has been all about, right? And, and, and yet, now Paul's saying, is, is he saying now that we're not yet saved? What is he talking about? Like, here salvation is is, is not already? Is this something that is near, that something that is coming? Listen, this is so important for us to see. This is so important for us to understand as God's sons and daughters. This, um, this is really the, the core, if you will, the meat of uh, our time together in this text this morning. Um, scripture talks about your salvation uh, in an all-encompassing way. And uh, what I mean by this is scripture will often talk about your salvation in the past tense, that you have been saved. Scripture will also often talk about your salvation in the present tense, that you are being saved. And at the same time, church, scripture 
also talks about your salvation in the future sense. That you will be saved. In other words, those who are in Christ are already justified. We've seen that by, by saved by grace through faith, as Paul has laid out. We have been saved. And those who have been saved, those who have been justified by grace through faith in Christ, are in a state of salvation. Being saved, being the word that we use for this is sanctified. And still, for those who have been saved, for those who are being saved, we are still waiting on the fullness of our salvation, the completion of our salvation. Uh, R.C. Sproul uh, says it like this. He says, when Jesus returns and consummates his kingdom, that will be a greater and fuller salvation than we have right now. Paul is not suggesting that people are not yet saved and then will later be saved. He is talking about that final salvation to which believers look forward. That makes sense? Another way to think about this is in light of sin. So, so we have been saved, period, from the penalty of sin in Jesus. In Jesus, we are being saved from the power of sin in your life. And one day, one day, in Christ, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Saved, being saved, and will be saved. This is so important because I think if we don't see this, we begin to cheapen our understanding of salvation. We begin to cheapen the gospel. We start to say things like, ah, does it really, who cares how I live today? We start to say things like, um, isn't it this prayer, as long as I say it before I die, I'm good? Um, we start to believe that, justifi- or that salvation was just kind of this some future thing, some fire insurance policy from hell. As long as you got the policy, you're good, right? Um, or we can start to think about salvation as just this back then thing, like God already took care of that. We're good. And, and, and all of that just cheapens cheapens salvation, cheapens the good news of Jesus. It cheapens what Scripture puts before us. And and when we preach the good news of salvation, when any faithful preacher preaches salvation, we are talking about past, present, and future, all-encompassing, that is the work of Jesus. That is what we are talking about, that Jesus saved you fully, justified. You're never going to be more justified than you are in him today in Christ, that Jesus saved you, that Jesus is saving you, that his Holy Spirit is at work in you, and that one day Jesus will save you and his work will be complete. You will be glorified. You will be saved. You have been saved, salvation is here, and salvation is near. Church, that is what Paul means here, and that is what Paul is getting us to focus on. When he, when he says, besides us, you know the time. The hour has come to you for you to wake up from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Today, you are closer to that moment, church, than you have ever been. This moment, you are closer to that moment when you stand before Jesus face to face. 
and when your salvation is complete. Today, as God's people, we together are closer to that moment than we have ever been. Ever been. uh, What Paul is doing here is lifting up our eyes so that we can see that and grasp that. And what does he say? I've said it over and over. It says, the hour has come for you to wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Um, Scripture says that the enemy has come to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But you know what? I think the enemy would be perfectly content with you just falling asleep. Like just falling asleep. Talk about easy target. So here's the deal. Scripture paints this picture of spiritual warfare and calls us to put on armor. We see this language all throughout Scripture. But you know what? The enemy already knows he's defeated The enemy already knows that the victory belongs to Jesus. And so as the enemy, why not just lull the people of God to sleep? Just lull them to sleep. All of that armor, it's not as effective on sleeping soldiers. It's not all that effective. And so the imagery here is so rich and clear. If we look at our text... It's like watchmen at the gate. We are watching and watching and waiting and waiting and hours go by and days go by and days go to weeks and weeks go to months and months turn into years and years and years and years and the watchmen can grow sleepy, less urgent, less expectant and Paul says, wake up. Wake up. Salvation is near, so wake up. The hour has come. Now, in verse 12, he's going to build on this imagery. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. This points us to Jesus, church. That our lives, we do not live our lives as though he did not come. Um, We live our lives in light of the fact he did come. And, And Paul says, it's like the night giving way to the day. One of my favorite things about the Christmas season, we just walked through it, is talking about that moment when it was dark, when it was still, and in the perfect time, the great light of the world came. This is what Paul is pointing us to, when that dark gave way to the dawn. And now Paul says, as the children of God, we are living in that day. We live in the light of Jesus. We live our lives in light of Jesus. The night is gone. The day is at hand. And because of that, Paul says in verse 12, so let us then cast off. Cast off the works of darkness and put on some armor. Put on the armor of light, he says. We live our lives in light of Christ. And so let's keep going. I'm going to come back to this. But verse 13, let us walk properly as in in the daytime. And he lists out, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, or jealousy. I want to make some observations here as we look at this. Um, Observation number one, and this is so huge. um, Church, sin thrives in the dark. Sin thrives in the dark, in the cover of night, in secrecy, in the cover of darkness. That is where sin thrives. This is why it is generally accepted that, especially in cities, you you would tell your kids, don't walk the streets in the middle of the night. Why? Because sin thrives in the cover of the night. 
um, certain behaviors, certain sinful acts, certain scenes seem to belong to the night. Yet in the day, in broad daylight, many of those actions, those behaviors of the night just don't seem to fit. You know? Like, um, if you think about it, there are certain things you would expect to see in the middle of the night at a nightclub that you would not expect to see in your local coffee shop at 2 p.m. Certain things thrive in the night <laughs> that would never thrive in the light of day. Why is that? Because in the, in the day, in the light, sin is exposed and sin doesn't like to be exposed. Sin likes to live in the darkness of corners. And, and sin, let's just call it, is weakened when it is dragged out of the dark corners. When it is dragged out of the dark corners. And I want to pause here because this might be the only thing you needed to hear this morning. This is so important. This is why confession and repentance are necessary parts of the lives of followers of Jesus. This is why. Listen, I know that as Protestants, we can struggle with this idea of confession and repentance. Uh, for some of us, we think of repentance as this one-time thing that we did back then when we responded to the gospel. Praise God you repented then. But for some of us, that's what we think of. We think about back then, but we don't think about repentance as a spiritual discipline that we need today, every day, multiple times a day. Or when we think of confession, right, we might, our minds might be drawn to the Catholic practice of coming to a priest and having our sins absolved before the priest. And, and, and so what, what ends up happening is this confession and repentance thing for us might feel a little foreign. Read your Bible, pray, yes, yes, and amen. Confess, repent, eh. You know? Listen, confession and repentance are necessary parts of our lives in Christ. Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Confession and repentance are necessary parts of walking in day, of walking in the daylight. In fact, if you think about it, here's what confession is. Confession is this act, this way that God has given us to identify the sin that is in the dark corner, to call it. Even though that sin might be thriving in the dark, to call it. Confession is how we call it, and we take that sin, and we bring it out of the dark corner. We expose it. We shed light on it. We bring it into the light, thereby weakening it. This is what confession is in the life of a believer. And repentance, guess what this is? This is just as we pull it out, repentance is the turning away from it, the walking the other way from it. So we drag it out of the dark and into the light, that is confession, and then we walk in the light of day, that is repentance. Confession 
and repentance. This is why they are so necessary for you, and this is why you will never outgrow them. You will never be mature enough to where you no longer need to do this until that moment when your salvation is completed and you stand before Jesus face to face. I can tell you with all honesty that these disciplines have been the most significant spiritual practices that I have in my life. I practice this daily, and I don't just say that up here because I want you to do it. I practice this daily. I really do. Read my Bible, yes. Pray, yes. But the way I think about this is with Bible and hands open, we must be a people of confession and repentance. With our Bibles and our hands open, we need to be a people of confession and repentance. And there is life and light as we confess and as we repent. And, and we are people of grace. We believe in the grace of God. Let me tell you, this is how we know it. This is how we walk in it. This is how we experience God's grace. Paul says, so then let us cast off these works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. How do we do that? We confess and we repent. Do you have a daily practice of confession and repentance? Before your God. Church, let's just let's start there. Start in prayer, simply asking that the Spirit would search our hearts, convict us of sins, convict you of the things that are lurking in the dark. And from that moment, not run away from him in shame, but run toward him knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive you. Run to the grace of God and be cleansed. Again, sin thrives in the dark, so what Paul says is wake up. Wake up. The night is done. The day is here. Salvation is near. Wake up. Confess. Repent. Walk in the light. Walk in the grace of Jesus. The second observation I have here is that Paul lists out six activities that have no place in the light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, he says, and then not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy. Listen, these are not an all-inclusive list here. Um, what Paul is doing here is just naming out a few of those things that are thriving in the darkness. In many ways, uh, I like to think of Paul describing the night scene in ancient Rome. Describing the activities that define the night. Those activities that are the norm in the night scene, but would be completely inappropriate for the day. Paul is drawing us, drawing this contrast, and he's showing something, showing us something so simple and so profound. He says, We belong to the day, the night is done. We are in Christ, we are now in the light, and those things that might be acceptable and normal in the night in a dark room are no longer our normal as people of the light, people of the day. 
The actions of the night are out of place in the day. The actions of the night are out of place in your life because of Jesus. Pastorally, I hear a question a lot. I've asked this question, I've wrestled with this question, and I bet you if you've been following Jesus for very long, you have asked this question or wrestled with this as well. But the question is, what about carnal Christians? Have you ever asked this? What, what carnal Christians are, are the people who call themselves Christians, but they don't look like it, they don't smell like it, they don't sound like it. Uh, people who live in and seem to thrive in and want to remain in darkness. I mean, can they be saved? Have you ever wondered that? So you're not alone. Um, I think there's a temptation that I feel pastorally to want to say more than Scripture does or less than Scripture does and in moments like this to give answers, you know, to that question. Um, this, this question can poke at the temptation because I think we all want some reference to go to in Scripture that gives us a clean, tidy answer for that question. I think we do. Uh, the problem is um, it's not there in some ways. We ask, is God okay with us walking in the dark? And how long can we be in the dark before he's not okay? Can I be a child of God and, and still kind of visit the darkness? How much darkness is, is okay? I mean, can we turn down the light a little bit? And although we want clean questions or answers to all these questions, listen, they are the wrong questions. They are the wrong questions. And this text in our, in our, in our text today, what Scripture is saying to this is wake up. Wake up. The light of day is here. Wake up. Salvation is here. Salvation is near. Listen, on, on that day when all of this is done and when we stand before Jesus, on that day when we stand in the full light of Christ, all of the works of darkness, Scripture says, will be made visible on that day. There is no dark corners, in other words, anymore. And Paul is urging us as children of God, as those, as those in Jesus, that we are being saved today from the darkness that is around us. And that we are called today to step out of that darkness that we may be found in the light on that day. Wake up. Wake up. Salvation is near. Salvation is here. The light properly as in the day. Third observation here. Um, I, I just want us to notice Paul's language. Uh, verse 12, he says, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Uh, later on in verse 14, I'll add, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a putting off, a casting off, and a putting on. And I don't want you to miss this. This is an imperative for you. What that means is, is that this is a call to action for you. This is not something that we as Christians get to be blissfully passive in. This is a call to you to put off the darkness and put on the armor of light. 
This is a call to you, an imperative to you. And I'm not saying that you save you, that you save yourself. You don't. I'm not saying, Paul is not saying that, but what, what I am saying, what Paul is saying here is that we do put off the things that are dark. We put off that sin that thrives in the darkness, and we do put on Christ, and we put on the armor of light. And so I, I want to ask, like, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, what is Paul saying here, put on this armor? Um, fortunately, Paul uses this language. You might be able to think in your mind of times when he does this, but Paul uses this language in a lot of different letters, a lot of them. And, and I love that. I've said this before, but one of the best things we can do, if you ever get to a scripture that is deep and you want to get to the bottom of it, one of the best things that you and I can do is let scripture clarify scripture. I love this. You have to have a question. Let scripture seek to answer that question. And, and the, the beautiful thing is here, we can, we can absolutely do that in, in our text. And so I want to—I I could have brought you to a couple places, but I, I want to ask you to flip with me to the right a little bit to First Thessalonians, First um, Thessalonians five. While you're getting there, I, Paul is writing again, same author, uh, writing to a different ancient church. Guess what, though, with the same message. I mean, strikingly similar. 1 Thessalonians verse five, or chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. Listen to what Paul is about to say here. Just take this in. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Does that sound familiar, church? Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. There are behaviors that belong to the night. Then verse eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of, of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing, Paul says. Paul says, put on that breastplate of faith, that armor, that love, the helmet of the hope of salvation, this is the armor of light that Paul is referencing in Romans 13. This is the armor that Paul is pointing us to. It's the same armor of God that we see in Ephesians 6. Won't make you go there. It's the same thing. It's the same call. Paul is, is calling us to put it on here, this armor of light. So we take all of this together. And I want to take all of this together before we step into the last verse in, in verse 14. So in Christ, take this in, you are saved. You are justified, and you will never be more justified than you are right now in Jesus. You are saved in Christ. In Christ, you are being saved. 
You are being sanctified. You are being called to walk in the light, to put on the armor of God day by day. And in Christ, you will be saved. You will be glorified, perfected in him, and the darkness will be no more. This is our salvation in Christ. This is it, past, present, future. This is how beautiful and how big and how all-encompassing it is. And that, church, is what makes verse 14 so beautiful, so important. Paul says, right now, because this is true, because of the salvation that we have in Christ, because of that, here is, here is our call. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Christ daily, moment by moment. This is a call to remember who you are. To remember who you are. Our identity in Christ, moment by moment, to clothe ourselves in Jesus. We put him on, Paul says. And he says, and doing that, we make no provisions for the flesh. What does it mean, church, to make no provisions for the flesh? This is a reference. Paul is referencing here pre, I'll put it like this, premeditated sin. He's, he's, he's referencing those moments when we make plans for sin. Uh, when we schedule it. When we make room in our budget. when we adjust our lives around it. In other words, Paul is referencing those moments when we identify so much with our old identity, so much with our flesh, that we organize our lives, that we plan for it, budget for it, schedule it, that we premeditatively plan to live in our old fleshly nature. And Paul says, in Christ, this is not the life for us. This is not who we are. And it leads us to ask ourselves, I think, a really hard question. Um, simple question, but difficult question. Are you making provisions for the old nature? Do you have right now premeditated sin plans? Do you have scheduled sin plans? Provisions in your budget. Paul is calling you this morning, calling you through his word, wake up. To put on Christ, to put off the darkness and walk in the light, to walk in the grace of God, salvation is here and salvation is near. And I got to, before we, as we close, um, I was reminded of one of my absolute heroes in the faith. In fact, I would argue the single most influential Christian thinker, theologian of all time. Big statement. Uh, St. Augustine. Um, St. Augustine. Augustine of Hippo was a crazy dude. He was. He was a crazy dude. In his youth, he rejected Jesus. 
His mom tried to tell him about Jesus, and he said, no, I want none of that. Instead, I want all of the pleasures of life. In his early 20s, he jumped full in into the dark, full in, living a lifestyle of the night. The man had a nightlife, okay? And, and he gave himself to a life of sin. He gave himself to a life of sexual sin. He fathered children, devoted his life to the sensuous pursuit and hedonism. I don't know if you knew that about him. He's a crazy dude. This was St. Augustine. And right in that darkness, one day, by God's grace, he picked up a Bible. And he opened to the same page that we have been on this morning. He opened to the end of the 13th chapter of Romans. And he read this passage, the same one that you and I have just read and talked through this morning. And he was absolutely convicted of his sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became a Christian. He looked on Christ and he believed. And the light broke through. Salvation broke through. God used this passage, the final verses of Romans 13, to cause him to see Jesus. And listen, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know uh, what you're facing this morning. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning. I don't. But what I do know is that this is true. And what I do know is that for centuries, God uses this to wake us up. In church, it's time. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Salvation is here. Let us confess and repent because he is faithful and he is just to forgive and cleanse. Salvation is here and salvation is near. So let us put on Christ. Walk in the light and put on that armor 